Welcome in to On the Grid. This is a Chilco podcast, and we're so excited to bring this to you. I'm your host, Tyler Wood. I'm a communication specialist here at Chilco, and I'm joined by my coworker and co-host, A.J. Van. You want to introduce yourself, A.J.? Uh, yes. Uh, I've been here at Chilco for the last year, and I work in the IT department. I was kindly asked by Tyler here to join him on the podcast. Best decision I've ever made so far. Well, we'll see about that. <laughs> For those of you who may not know, Chelco is a not-for-profit electric distribution co-op serving more than 61,000 accounts in Okaloosa, Walton, Holmes, and Santa Rosa counties. So today we have an absolutely great episode lined up. We sat down and talked to three linemen who went to Guatemala as part of NRECA's project to bring power to a village there in Guatemala that had never had it. So a little bit of background on NRECA and their international electrification efforts. NRECA stands for the National Rural Electric Cooperative Association. Uh, NRECA International organizes electrification efforts for developing countries that may not have access to electricity in their more rural areas. And Power in Guatemala was an NRECA international project. Um, the project featured linemen from co-ops around Florida, Tri-County Electric Cooperative, with Withlacoochee River Electric Cooperative, Clay Electric Cooperative, Peace River Electric Cooperative, and then us, Chelco. So the way the project actually came to Florida was through our CEO at Chelco, Steve Rhodes. Before Steve came to Chelco, he was a CEO at Kosciuszko REMC in Indiana, and the Indiana cooperatives did a similar project back in 2012, also in Guatemala, and two of the linemen from his co-op there went, and he said they came back uh, very passionate about the project, and it really rubbed off on him how passionate they were. So when he became the CEO of Chelco, he thought it would be a great idea to have Florida participate in a similar project. So in 2017, he pitched the idea to some of his fellow CEOs around the state, and the project began gaining some momentum. And eventually, after a couple of years of COVID-related delays, the project finally took place in December of 2022. The project was funded by outside organizations, generous, very generous donations from industry vendors. So really, it was at very little cost to the participating co-ops other than the manpower they sacrificed, just letting their guys go for a couple of weeks. So it was a outstanding project. We had a great conversation with those guys and we hope that you enjoy it just as much as we did. Uh, Welcome into the very first ever Chelco podcast. We're so excited to get this thing started. We've been talking about it for a long time. Um, I got three awesome guys with me here today, Jason Price, Ricky Brazel and Derek Tabor. These guys uh, recently went to Guatemala to help electrify a village there that had never had it. I'll start with you, Jason, if you just want to introduce yourself and your background here at Chelco. Um, I'm Jason Price, and I uh, see I uh, started here February 23rd, 2000 in the engineering department. And um, it wasn't probably seven years after that. I moved outside onto the line crew, and um, here I am today. Glad to be here. I'm Derek Tabor. I've been here since August 2006, nearly 17 years on the line crew. Love it so far. Probably going to love it till the end. Hello, I'm Ricky Brazel. I've, uh, I started February 18th, 1997. Been here just a few days short of uh, 26 years. And uh been on the line crew from the time I started and still love it to this day. 
So I know this this project has been something that's been in the works for a long time. What was the process for being selected as one of Chelco's representatives? Well, we actually all held our hands up in the room when the first question was ever asked about it. And then um, shortly after that, we were asked to uh, write a little something about why we'd want to go, why we'd want to do something like this. After that, there was a, um, as you call it, a physical test where they asked us to climb. Yeah, we had um, to climb. Yep. Also had to do some um, volunteer work. That's right. We um, did that. We've done that. And uh, also went before a, a panel, answered, yep. answered, answered some questions that was asked of us while we wanted to go and, and be a part of the project. They started talking about adding a third, and I guess somebody had dropped out. They couldn't. Get, they didn't have enough from another co-op, so I'm on a truck with Ricky every day, and I, you know how excited he was to going and looking forward to it. it. Of course, it made me just as excited to want to go with him. That's how it happened. This this is the first ever trip sponsored by NRCA that anybody from Florida has been. This this was a first, and I didn't even realize that. I don't know that. that the three of us realized just what an initial project this was for the state of Florida. There's been other states going, yes, but this was a first for the state of Florida, and we were part of that group. Once they announced it was going to be postponed for COVID, what was y'all's initial reaction for that? Just waiting. We were just waiting to go. I mean, it was it was probably just a little bit of a you know disappointment, but we knew we were going to go. We just didn't know when. It was it was a, it was disheartening, and then after a while, you just kind of you just kind of thinking, well, you hope for me, you hope we get it in before I retire. Right, right. What right. everybody you know kidding me <laughs> about was I'd be retired and have to come back to go. Once you guys finally did arrive in Guatemala uh, City, what was your initial impression of the the area there? I know you guys had had some adventures, not even there, but getting there on the way there, there was some stuff that happened at the airport. I don't know if you want to touch on Ricky. that. But oh, yeah. Take that yeah, one. <laughs> it, it, it was an adventure when we left Tampa to go to Miami. I uh, I got padded down. I, I guess they, uh, whatever, you know, the metal detectors or the with the FAA, what they want to find anyway, they said they didn't get strip searched. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. They always are positive. See? Silver right. lining and everything. That's right. Yep. There was a, uh, we were told it'd be a shock, a culture shock. Um, there was, I, I told my son, I felt like I've just been dropped into Grand Theft Auto in a video game when I, when, you know, when we hit the streets in, in Guatemala City. It, it was different. I mean, the way they drive, the way they move, the way the traffic flows, the way the, you know, the population moves, you know, traffic lights are, you know, suggestions and, you know, turn signals are optional. And, and um, I think Toot fell right in, Ricky. I think he felt right into place, you know, because of uh, his expertise in driving. So if we needed to get there, he could get us there. One of the things is you, you didn't hold your arm out very no, far because no. a motorcycle would pass you on take the it inside off. or yeah. outside, and it'd take you with it if you weren't careful. <laughs> Absolutely. So I want to talk a little bit about the actual day-to-day work there in the village. How would that compare to like a day here at home? The line work itself, not as many changes. Maybe that's that was that was a big thing that that came out. Uh, I think early on, you know, we we tried to we did we didn't try. We had a tailgate like we'd have here. Uh, we decided we'd have that at the hotel in the parking lot, literally before we got in the trucks because we could lose each other just literally driving to the village. And so we would have a plan there. David would go over it, and then once we left there, we'd get to the village. We'd go to a place that we 
we call our show up where we'd have we had our material and we would use that every day it was a kind of a base to to operate from and once we got there that could change those plans could change that we just talked about no more than 45 minutes ago and then there was times that those plans even changed again and then again and then our team leader david lambert did a yeoman's job of shouldering those changes as they come and and obviously just like here you know crew can get frustrated a job can change here it wasn't nothing that we didn't just stop say okay well we just have to do this instead of this um does that happen here yeah it doesn't i don't think it happens as much as it happened to us right um and i will say that 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 all of us we just we looked at it we you know we took it on the chin um you know we shifted gears and we just kept moving and those were 15-hour days, was it day, sun up to sundown? He's, yeah, Did David you? said 15-hour days. It was. Once we got up because uh, we were uh, we were on Guat- Guatemala time, and, and the first few days were really, you know, which way we're going. Once we got that ironed out, which was understandable, that's not something that any of us are not used to or used to being uh, thrown into. So once we got that, those first, I would say probably first 48 hours, 72 hours, it was kind of, it was rough, but we found it, we found a rhythm and we finally got going. I mean, even after that, we were throwing curveballs, but we made it happen. Is there one tool you guys didn't have there that you were like, God, if I could have that, we would just get so much more done? I'd say a bucket truck. <laughs> yeah, bucket truck. <laughs> oh, so they didn't have any bucket trucks? Without the, the local company they had, they had a bucket truck, but it, I wouldn't call it a bucket truck. It, it looked like a little Toyota with a, a lift on the top of it without outriggers, but that's what they use, and with, I mean that's all they can get. But they done the best with it. And I'm just thinking that because there's probably we would hope and we would love other linemen to be listening to this and be like, oh, maybe I want to volunteer and go on that, and be good for them to know, hey, that's what we may be up against, or that's what we're thinking about. Because listening, you say, hey. I'd be thankful for anything that we would have had that we have normally over here and just seeing what's the, the difference there. Because I know well, here we got our maps, we got our iPad, we got our phone, we got our radio and all that stuff. But, yeah. Well, we had some battery-powered tools that was mm-hmm. over there <clears throat> that was brought for the project, and there was also some already over there through um, NRECA, battery-powered drills and impacts and things that that made it a little, little better, um, especially the drilling. But going back, if somebody come over there, <clears throat> just um, don't don't miss the opportunity if you get a chance to go. I mean, it, it, believe it or not, you you'll be changed more than the the lives that you're changing, bringing electricity to them. To add to the first part of Ricky's answer, any I should say any lineman that's that's able, obviously able to climb would be able to do what we did because I mean we were climbing. We didn't have a bucket like I mean that would have been very nice. It would have sped the job up. Any of the tools that we had, they had they had hand lines and rope blocks and jacks, grips. We had all the tools that we would use today here if we didn't have any trucks in that truck shed across the street. If all we did was get in a pickup and leave out of here and go climb, we could do that same thing there with the same tools that we had there. Depending on the project size, as you're depending on the project size, it might take us longer. And then you add in this. You haven't even got into communication, but we couldn't talk to each other with a phone or a radio or common communication that we'd use here every day. So one of us uh, made a plan. We all just hollered at each other 
as long as we were in earshot of each other. And that's how we communicated because there was a truck at the end of the line that had a grip on the wire. The grip was tied to the, tied to the bumper of the truck. So you got one of us in the truck, and he's backing up, and he's pulling that conductor that is strung through every pole that we're on. And so when Damien hollers go, and I holler go to Ricky, Ricky hollers go to the next guy, and that guy hollers go to the next guy, and that guy hollers go to the next guy, and then he returns back. And it's just repeated back. And as soon as I holler back to Damien, then he tells the guy in the truck to back up. That's how we worked one day. Can you do it? Absolutely. Anybody that has done any minimum amount of line work would be able to go and do what we did. But there's just going to be, just be prepared for some things. I mean, you're going to have to roll with the punches. There's going to be some changes and, and you can do it. There's nothing that you can't do. But I will say what Ricky said. I I would not, absolutely not, pass up the opportunity if it came along to go and do something like this. The reward that you get in your heart and your mind and your soul will be worth more than anything that you could. I, my expectations were far exceeded. It was I, very incredible. I guess I have worked, you know, a lot of storms, whether it be um, ice storms, hurricanes, tornadoes, or just thunderstorms. And I, you know, people out of lights, and everybody's very appreciative when you turn the lights back on. But until you, you just get to see where you built and provide electricity to somebody that's never had it, not that they didn't know what it was, but they've never had it at their convenience to turn on at a light switch, and just see the reaction and the uh, facial expressions, not really. Not necessarily the thank yous that, that they speak come to tell you, but just to see their reaction and the, the way they looked in the eyes of uh, seeing that, that it was theirs. It's just it's pretty amazing. And there's there's a lot of things that would change their life by having access to electricity. I know you had mentioned that before, uh, Ricky. What, what what are some of the things that, that well, would change their well, life? Well, you change their bedtime to start with. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, it, it, uh, start with, you know, that, that's, that's one thing. And then, you know, what comes with electricity, whether they get a, a radio, which, I mean, naturally they could have one with battery, but a TV, um, any other electronics that come with it for education-wise for the kids. Um, but the, the biggest change that I've seen that, that – that, kind of deep to think about or I guess would be was you've seen all these other kids from a couple year, a couple years old uh, to the teenagers, you know, and you're, they're, they're experiencing electricity for the first time at their home. But then you, you have a couple there that has a set of three, they said around three months old set of twins. Well, those, 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 those babies, they grow up. They'll never know. They'll never know that village without electricity. Whereas, just like in our, whether it be our grandparents or great-grandparents may have got electricity when they was 8 or 10 years old. But ever since we've been born, you know, we've had electricity at the house. It's the same thing that happened there. We changed that and seen it. There will be some that grow up in that village that never knew the village without electricity. I do want to touch on some of the relationships y'all built because I know that was a huge part of the trip for each of you. Yeah, one of the, the farmers there in the village, his name was Fernando, in which uh, the village they the villagers they helped each crew every day, 
and Fernando was the first one that come there at the pole helping us. And every time you bent down to pick something up, he beat you to it, you know. And he invited us into his home to eat lunch, and he actually traded machetes. I went and got a new machete and got the translator to ask him to trade me for one of his used ones. And, and of course, he did, and he signed his name on it, and I got to sign my name on his. And it's, that's just that was a special bond I had with him. And and the linemen that we had was there fourteen of us. You get fourteen linemen together, and for that long of a time, and everybody get along, and everybody agree. That's you don't hardly hear you, uh, something like that, you know. But it's and them guys, they're gonna be lifelong friends. Won't never forget them. And just you know, like I say, for friendships, and we you know we did some trading like that just to say you could bring some, you had something other that meant so much to one of the villagers because they like I say they it meant a lot to them to come and help us every day and for singled out friendships there was many you know in the village and even though the uh, language barrier was a distance or you know a gap there between a lot of us especially me <laughs> I, I don't. I don't. I don't pick up on that. It takes all I can do to speak English real good. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, you know, it was just whether it be a hand gesture or or just a look that they they under we understood each other. Um, but then again, touching on the other the other thirteen guys, you know, it, it's just the friendships with them, and uh, still, you know, just about every day, you still get a text message or a phone call from one of them. Still, the group the group text that we had while we worked over there, you know, we'll send something out on it, and we hear from everybody. And and there again, the and I guess the special ones would be from there would be the uh, our interpreters, our translators. You know, they they was um, a pretty good pretty good bunch of bunch of people there. That you know, they're good folk. Keep up through them through a little bit with you know on the social media. I guess that some of them have that. So you know, you see you see what they. Kind of up to, and you can just hit translate on it so you understand what. Uh, <laughs> right. There again, you know the, the the language barrier was was a tough one for me, but it didn't take long to to understand that what each other was trying to say. You know. When I started, I didn't expect to to for the things that happened to me. Obviously, I, I, we all can say that we've all said you know we've all had situations and things that that came up while we were over there that that impressed upon us, but. Mine goes right back to um, the first house that we wired. Um, me and Derek and Ricky were going at it, um, and we were laying to it. We thought we were just going to go over there that day and start climbing, and we didn't. We ended up wiring houses that day, and the house that I ended up in ended up being Roni's house, or his mama's house, rather, Ronaldo. Um, Roni, as he's affectionately called. But um, Derek and Ricky said, hey, we're going to go to this next house. And I said, okay. So they left. It's still dark. There's no power, but we just we're just wiring. I got a headlamp on. It's all we could use to see in 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 the rooms that we we're in because it's pitch black. And Roni is. I come to find out that this is his mother's house. I learn all this as I go along, as the days go along. And as we're working, we kind of get a rhythm. And I'm wiring up the breaker panel, and Roni comes in behind me, and I'm reaching, but he's handing me tools. He's handing me the wrong things, but I don't tell him. We tried to be respectful and not, you know, I guess disrespectful even when they were trying to give us things because 
you know, there, therein lies that language barrier, and I couldn't say, no, hand me a screwdriver. So he may be handing me something totally different. Well, I take it, and then I grab the other thing. What I noticed through the whole process of him standing with me, he's standing right behind me, he's smiling the whole time. Didn't matter what we were what we were doing or what I was doing or what I was saying. I was talking, but he didn't understand a lick of what I was saying. And um, come to realize later on that he's a teacher. He was a teacher in town. And so this goes on, this situation right here goes on for maybe 15 minutes, 20 minutes. And we end out up on the, we end up out on the front porch and Ryan, why our media guy, he comes up now, Ryan can speak some, some Spanish. And so he comes up and he, uh, he's talking to Ronnie, to Ronaldo. And I said, Ryan, I said, can you help me just a second? He said, what? I said, can you at least, I mean, I can say, what is your name? And I can introduce myself. But I said, can you at least talk to him just for a minute for me? And like, like who, who is he? I wanted to know him. I wanted to get to know him. So who is this guy? And so it's more of an introduction now. We went past an introduction. So I realized that this is his mother's house. So I've made a connection there. Okay. So there starts what I didn't know was what was going to become a, a friendship there between me and, and Ronnie. So made a connection. And, and um, so, and of course, like, Ricky mentioned, you know, Google Translate was our best friend. And so I used that for the first two or three days. And the next day I'd see Roni again. And, but it was laughing. We were always laughing. And I realized then that, that no matter what we were doing or in the conversations that ensued after that, he was always smiling. That was what the, I guess it was a tagline that Ryan uh, said I started or he started. But I, I said from there, that he may, I may not be able to talk to this guy and he may not be able to talk to me. But the one thing that we are doing is smiling at each other. And and I thought then, I said, well, a smile is a smile in any language. No. And not, not that he doesn't understand me or I doesn't, I don't understand him. And we didn't. But when I showed him what I was using to translate, he knew exactly what that was. And he had a phone. So the next day, that night, that night I got a message. Because he found me on Facebook and we went from there. And you'd mentioned, you know, technology. So um, now that they have a place to charge their phones, you know, <laughs> out there where we're at, now he's he's communicating. He still does. He just the other day and all through Christmas. He sent me a video during Christmas. I asked him, I said, listen, I said, Merry, I said, Merry Christmas, Ronnie. I said, I hope everything's going great and bless your family. And I said, I sure hope the lights are still on. And I got a message that night. It was a video. And it was a video of him standing on his mother's porch, panning around, showing me all the Christmas lights and a Christmas tree that wasn't there when we left, but it was there then and the Christmas music playing. But the one thing that come out of that that is that tugs at my heartstrings was that line work to me is you can go anywhere in the world and and do what we do. Okay, line work here is line work there. Okay, line work is line work at the end of the day. That was what I went with. That was my mindset when I was asked that question the first time. But at the end of that project, when we were standing on his mama's porch, and when she was asked what had impressed upon her the most about the project. She said that she was most appreciative of the, the friendship that I had shown her son. She had nothing to do with electricity. And I don't think she realized what an impact he had had on me. And when she said that, I lost it. So from that, line work was not line work to me anymore. Line work had been something that had actually changed lives. That's something that I won't forget. That's something I haven't forgotten, and I'll never forget that moment. That's not that's not what I went to do. We were going back 
not to give something to somebody they already had. We were going to give something to somebody that they never knew. That that right there is what's been on my heart. That's what I took. That's what I took away from. That was the, the highlight of that that trip for me. Yeah. We left our coworkers. You know, and they stepped up to take care of what we were to do. I can't thank them enough and say enough good things for my fellow coworkers that that was here while I got to go do and see this amazing project being done and completed. For them not doing that, I couldn't have went and done what I'd done and, and represent my little part in, into this big project. We are going to leave you hanging there until next month when we release episode two, uh, part two of this podcast. It's been a great conversation so far. We hope you've enjoyed it. And we look forward to having you tune in again next month for part two of our conversation with these guys. In the meantime, as we wait for part two, if you're still looking for more content that centers around Chelco and all of its happenings, you can check Chelco.com, our website, also our Facebook page and Twitter account. Of snowbirds and vacationers And oh, those spring breakers Farmers in rural houses Rustic homesteaders We serve the AFB And we're owned by our members And it is our mission To make their lives better Chilco, Chilco Make the electricity flow Chilco, Chilco From the Gulf to Alabama Go, chill go, chill go, chill go.